0: All right, so let's get started. We're in uh, Joshua, chapter 5 and 6 today. So kind of to bring us up to speed on where we are, this five-week series uh, brings us, this is the 25th of our 50 Old Testament series. So we're 25th of our 50 Old Testament lessons. So, We're halfway through our Old Testament overview at this point, which I think is awesome. I was hopeful that I'd be able to stay glued with this path the whole way through, and we're halfway there. Uh, This series five-week series is The Law and the Land. So Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai, gotten the Ten Commandments of the Law, come down, uh, he's passed the baton to Joshua, Joshua's picked up the baton, he's running with it through Canaan and the Promised Land, and Joshua picked up the baton from Moses. Uh, last week, uh, Chandelier talked about they crossed over into the Promised Land. Today is the first battle that they face in the promised land. So, just to kind of give you some perspective, the Israelites have won. Here's your blank on the handout. Zero battles so far in Canaan. This is the first one. They have won nothing. All they've heard is Joshua telling them, "God said we're going to be fine." That's their perspective at this point. Now, since we're doing an overview of the entire Bible. Um, there's gonna be a lot of stuff that we don't have time to cover. The the first lesson in Joshua was Joshua chapter one. Last week was Joshua three and four, right? This week is the second half of Joshua five and all of Joshua six. And I skipped the chapter in there. Which chapter did I skip? Joshua two. Joshua two talks about a lady named Rahab. Now Rahab was not your typical Sunday school teacher type. Sort of. um, Rahab was just, she was what? She was experienced, yes, she was. At, uh, wow, okay. Yes, she was. Uh, she was experienced at what some people call the world's oldest profession. I think that's a lie. The world's oldest profession is gardening. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you kind of figure that out. But um, nonetheless, uh, Rahab was a harlot, is the Bible term for, for her job. A modern-day word for that is going to be a prostitute. If uh, You want to get really kind of into the almost judgmental mode. Uh, some translations even call her a whore. Uh, but it's pretty blunt that her job was having people come in and out of her home to pay for sex. That was, that's what she was known for. Now, one of the things that we don't see in today's text, that we do see in Joshua 2, is that Rahab... Houses two spies that Joshua sends into Jericho to spy out the city. Now, if you remember back in uh, Exodus, Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land, right? And 10 were bad and two were good, right? And who were the two good? Joshua and Caleb, right? So Joshua remembers this. So when he gets into Canaan, he does the exact same thing. He sends out spies. Now, i got to think that since there was only two of the ten, two of the twelve that were good, but Joshua figured he only needed two. So he only sent two spies into Jericho. Uh, Jewish tradition says that one of them was Caleb and the other was the high priest. We have no idea. Uh, window. Looks just kind of innocuous, right? That didn't mean anything. So, when Rahab and the spy, here we go. I hear it now. When Rahab and the spies are talking, Rahab tells them, in Joshua 2, verses 8 through 11. She tells them that everybody in Jericho has heard of the Israelites. And everybody has heard what happened to the Red Sea and what happened to the Egyptians. And they all know about this God that they serve and that they're scared to death. And that's the perspective that I don't ever remember having on this story before is that the the Jerichoans maybe... Um, knew the God of Israel. And they had an opportunity to do exactly what Rahab did, which was trust in a promised deliverance. That's your blank. Rahab was trusting in a promised deliverance because she had not yet been saved, right? And she was putting her faith in the word of one that came to tell her about another man that's going to come and save the day. And she's going to do that with a scarlet thread hanging out her window. A scarlet cord hanging out her window. So, that brings us to a talking dog. <clears throat> You're like, Ab, that was my amen, that was awesome. A talking dog. So, there's a talking dog in this story, and I don't know if you knew that or not. Did you know that there's a talking dog in the story of uh, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho? There he is. There was an old farmer. He had a talking dog. And... Uh, time to tell the joke there we go so there's a a farmer that had a a talking dog and he kept him in his backyard and he had a for sale sign out in his front yard and he said talking dog for sale city slicker comes by one day he says hey yes you got a talking dog said, yeah he's in the backyard just go have a conversation with him come back out we'll talk about price i know some of you have heard this it's all right um so the man goes back in the backyard and he so he's the he's the dog sitting there. He's like, oh, that's a nice looking dog. He said, "Can you talk?" And the dog goes, "Well, of course I can talk. You read the sign." Wow, it's amazing. What are you what are you doing in this backyard? Well, you know, I used to be a spy for the CIA. I jet setted all over the world. I'd listen in on conversations. I was one of their most uh, decorated spies. I got tired of that life. Decided I'd just settle down. Got a nice a house here. Uh, got a wife with some some pups in the back. We're in good shape. And. The guy's like, this is incredible. I mean, you've, you've really done all that? Oh, yeah, and I did this and this and this and this and this, all these different things. So the guy, the city slicker, he's excited, you know. He goes back out to the front yard and he talks to the farmer. He said, that that dog's amazing. How much do you want for that dog? And the farmer goes, $10. $10. $10? You just want $10? Why do you just want $10? That dog's a liar. He ain't never been out of the backyard. So the the farmer missed the fact that he had a talking dog, okay? There's a talking dog in today's story, and it is the fact that the walls of Jericho fell down and nobody threw anything against them, okay? So don't miss that. But we're not focusing on the talking dog today. We're focusing on the scarlet cord, okay? Because I can relate to the scarlet cord a whole lot better than I can relate to the talking dog. Are you with me so far? Okay, so let's look... whoa, there you go. That was good. That was good. Yeah, we've got to do that. That's good. That's good. All right, so the primary key thought is the scarlet thread points to salvation. It points to salvation. It's a hope in something that has not yet come. And the secondary key thought is do exactly what God says because the talking dog may show up every once in a while. And that's kind of cool. All right? So we're in Joshua 5, verse 13. Now, remember, we're up to the point where Joshua has been told by God to cross the Jordan and go into Canaan. And that's all that God told him to do so far. He didn't tell him where to go next. So verse 13, Joshua 5, 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man. Now, look at your Bible. What's different about the word? Capital M. We've been talking about how many times have I pointed out there's a capital, and that's important, Right? Thank God for good Bible translations that help us see. Oh, this is important. This is somebody special. Who stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him. Now, just stop for just a, just a second here, okay? Now, this tells me something about Joshua, okay? So, um, Bud, help me out here for a second. Bud's going to be the man. Bud's kind of tired. He's about to sleep, so I'm going to wake him up here. <clears throat> So Bud's standing there. You're the man. You've got a sword drawn in your hand. Now, if I'm a rational human being, what am I not going to do? Approach a man with a drawn sword. Okay? <laughs> right? I mean, that's crazy. Now, either Joshua is crazy or he is bold. Because God has already told him, wherever you step in the land of Canaan, you are safe. And he walks up to this man. Now That, that to me, we have, we have laid the groundwork for Joshua believes what God has told him. We on the same page? Everybody tracking? Okay. And he said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Because <laughs> if a dude's just standing out in the middle of somewhere with a sword in his hand, I want to know what he's up to. Is he for us or is he against us? Now what Joshua does here, and I'm going to get a little technical with logic, Joshua creates a false dichotomy. Okay, it's your blank. False. I didn't make you spell dichotomy. I know, it's it's a pain to spell. So what's a false dichotomy? Well, an easy example of a false dichotomy is, um, all right, Doug, have you stopped beating your wife? Yes. Yeah. I've pigeonholed you into responses that don't reflect all of the possible answer choices, right? Okay, so Joshua just assumes you're either with us or you're against us. And I like his train of thought because Joshua's a military guy. Things are very straightforward and simple for military guys. It's we're going forward, we're going to advance, we're going to execute the orders that we've been given. I need to know, are you friend or foe? And this man says, no. Now, I asked you a yes or, I mean, are you for us or are you against us? The answer to this is I'm for you or I'm against you. And he says, no, says as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come, which is kind of one of those, a one star general just walked up on a four star general and didn't see the stars, right? And it was kind of like, no, 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 no. You've got this backward. You work for me. Okay. (laughs) Please understand that I command all of the host of heaven. That's who's at my disposal. And you've got this ragtag band of slaves that picked up weapons 40 years ago off of the Red Sea, and that's what they're using. So let's not get into um, there's kids in here. Let's not get into a pissing contest here, right? Because you're going to lose. This is not going to go well. So verse 14, "And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, "What does my Lord say to his servant?" But he instantly recognized, uh, okay, this is something different here. This is something completely different. Verse 15, then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. Now, who does that sound like? That sounds like God, right? Does this not remind you of the conversation that God had with Moses in the burning bush? Yeah. Do you see how this pattern that God has, he reveals himself to someone, he gives them direction, and then he gives them encouragement throughout the way. Does it sound like anything he's still doing today? I think so. God is very, very consistent. People will tell you that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Our perspective is all jacked up. But the God of the Old Testament is the exact same God of the New Testament. And I love the end of verse 15. And Joshua did so. That's why I like Joshua. Joshua could take a command and go do it. So, chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up. Now do we have any record? Let me back up. Do we have any record of what this captain of the host said to Joshua? Other than take your shoes off? I don't don't know. He just encouraged him. You know, God's here. So verse 1. Now uh, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. So they were laying siege to it. And the inhabitants of Jericho, remember, knew about Israel. They knew about Israel. This was not some kind of... Who are these people that just showed up being weird? You know, that's, that's not how it worked. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around all the city once. This shall, you shall do six days. Now, Joshua is a what? He's a military commander. He's being told to do what? Walk. In circles. On purpose. And it gets better. Look at verse 4. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. It sounds like revelation, doesn't it? Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Where's the military strategy? Verse 5, it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. Because somehow that makes a difference. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go every man straight before him. Did I miss something here? Because I would think if you're going to beat a city, you're going to have to use weapons at some point. Right? Right? So here's my question. Have you ever been, uh, and this does not happen to me because I, I had to ask my wife this, so this is a great question for her. Um, you ever been baking something and you come to a step in the recipe and you go, what's that there for? That doesn't make any sense. So so, what, so who is in the camp of I follow the recipe exactly? Let's get my OCD folks. It, it, you can own it, it's all right, it's all right. Who is in the, in the camp of whatever, I know better? Okay. So what happens when you do that? Whatever I know better, does it always work out best? Darla's like, yeah, because I know what I'm doing. Dang it, <laughs> Darla, you are awesome. You are awesome. You are awesome. Yeah, just oh, there you go. That's right. So, so here's my thought here, right? Who's writing the recipe for success in Canaan? God. So he, he he's the yeah, Jesus is right. So he's the author of this recipe. Perhaps the guy that wrote the recipe knows what ought to go in. He knows the ingredients. So it's up to Joshua to follow the recipe. So let's see what he does. You should really know the answer to this by now, but we'll see what he does. Verse 6, then, don't miss these little words, because it did not say seven days later after Joshua had prayed about it and asked God to show him his will for his life i leave that alone. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let who, him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. Getting them ready. Verse 8. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came up after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now, so far in the land of Canaan, who has had to do all the work? The what? The band geeks, yes. (laughs) That's awesome. The priests have done all the work. The priests held the ark in the middle of the Jordan while the people passed through. The priests are blowing the trumpets. The priests are carrying the ark the only other thing God has asked for anybody else is just to follow right I mean it's this is really basic stuff we we are teaching fundamentals of obedience 101 right this is your two year old has now figured out I can say no intentionally and and I can I can mess with you and this is the fundamentals of obedience the nation of Israel is still in a very toddler type type state They've they're one generation out of captivity. This is where they are. Verse 10, now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. This does this not sound like somebody talking to their two-year-old or your three-year-old? You're not going to say a word right now. Not a word. You've, had that, you've, done that, and you've done that with your teeth gritted too, haven't you? I know you have. I know you have. Verse 11, So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once, and they came into the camp. This is the camp of the Israelites outside and lodged in the camp. Verse 12, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went went before them, but the rear guard came up after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day, They marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. So the blank is Joshua did exactly what God said. Exactly. Is that exciting stuff or what? We're walking. You know, you've seen that, uh, what is that, that commercial on TV with a girl so excited about car insurance, and she's like, and we're walking, right? That's... Hello, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know her name. <laughs> I have DVR. We fast forward to commercials in my house. <laughs> wow, that was awesome. You guys are on it. All right, verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, you know, because we've got a lot more walking to do today, right? About the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the police drew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city, he's still talking here. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and in it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things. I'm going to stop right here and talk about the accursed things just a second. There are many, many, many times in the Old Testament where God will give a command to go and wipe a people off the face of the earth. Okay? That's reality in the Old Testament. And this can cause you to go into this moral... You know, your brain just kind of... Fr- your, your brain is divided by zero, right? You've got an error. You got, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. Math joke of the day. It's okay. You're going to wake up. You'll get there, right? the best I got, sir. So, so, how do we reconcile the fact that God said, go wipe this people out? Right, so, let's, let's talk about a couple of things real quick. So, the religion of Jericho was one of sexual worship style religion. So, they would go to worship and they would have sex with the equivalent of prostitutes. Okay? And there were different levels of worship. It's nasty. It's awful. I meant to put like a PG-13 or M for mature language this morning. Um, There were, uh, they would engage in relations with animals Uh, and it's just, it's nasty. It's awful. And disease was rampant throughout these nations, rampant throughout these nations. Terry Brown teaches a class on the minor prophets on Wednesday nights. And he has done a masterful job of helping me understand the larger context behind the need to get rid of this. Um, And it sounds awful, but whose land are they in? They're in God's land, right? Have they heard about God? Yes, Joshua 2 said that they'd heard about God. They had an opportunity to respond positively to God. And what happened? They decided not to. So here's the command. Joshua says, we're not touching any of the accursed thing. Imagine what happens if you touch it. Uh, right? Uh, we don't need any of that. They didn't have pharmacies where you can go, let's give me some amoxicillin and we'll knock this out. No, no, no. When you got sick, you know what they did with you? They put you outside the camp lest somebody else would get it because that's the only health protective method that they had that's all they could do so joshua says we're going to get rid of all this stuff lest you become a this is the end of verse 18 when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of israel a curse and trouble it and here's a neat thing but all the silver and gold the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the lord they shall come into the treasury of the lord now the old testament concept of tithing is what somebody explain tithing to me First fruits, right? So so you do your harvest and whatever is left over, God gets, right? But that's how we do it. No, it shouldn't be how we do it. The first fruits, the first tenth of whatever comes in. How many battles had Israel won? None. This was the first fruits of the land of Canaan. So everything that was of value, everything that was redeemable. Because you can melt gold down, and it'll be fine, right? Everything that was redeemable was going to be set apart to God. So Joshua, in effect here, in my mind, tithes off of the conquest of the land, which I think is a pretty neat concept, right? He's setting this aside for the house of the Lord at some point, because he knows we're going to build this thing eventually. We're going to build this thing eventually, because that little shack, that little tent that Moses set up is not big enough to house the God that I've experienced so far, right? We've got to have something bigger for that. So Jericho is the first fruit city of Canaan, the first fruit city of Canaan. So he's going to give all that to God. Now Joshua could have been a very rich man off of this. I mean, he, he, he's in charge. My guess is the people would have done whatever he told them to do at this point. You know, we just, we just walked through a river, with a box in the middle of the river. I'm listening to you, okay? That's just kind of where I'm at. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And everybody said, Oh! Woof! Oh. I was like, dude, it totally set you up there. That was awesome. All right. That's the dog, the talking dog moment just happened, okay? Don't miss it. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Verse 22, But Joshua had said to the two men who spied out the country, these are the guys that knew where Rahab lived, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. I think it's interesting that Joshua didn't actually say her name. Verse 23 And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, this is beautiful, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And the thing that I love about this is that Rahab's faith in the unseen saved her and her family. Right? Because she'd not met Joshua at this point. There's really no indication in the text that she ever met Joshua. But she put her faith in somebody that she couldn't see who hadn't showed up yet. And it's just, I mean, if you people tell me all the time, well, where's the gospel in the Old Testament? Just open your friggin' eyes. Oh, my goodness. She hung a scarlet cord out the window, and that's what pointed her toward her future salvation from somebody that she'd never seen before. His name is actually the Hebrew version of the Greek Jesus. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than this guy. This is, this is it. This is the gospel right here. So I'm going to get excited about this. So why in the world do we care about Rahab, right? Why am I top, up here talking about this red string as opposed to the talking dog, right? Well, here's why. Because I love that God saved a sinner. Because I is one. Right? I mean, but for the grace of God, <laughs> I got nothing on that. I mean, that's just God saved a sinner. That's what he did. That's what he does. That's his job. That's what he does. And there's a bigger reason. There's a, Now, there's a... There's a big theological reason why Rahab is important. And some of you know this already. We'll walk through it, and that's fine. Rahab is important uh, in the grand scheme of things because she married this guy named Salmon. I kid you not. It's in the Bible. I kid you not. It's how you pronounce it. Dude. Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N. That was her husband's name. I know. It was like short end of the stick. All the good guys were taken or something. I don't know. So, so she and Salmon have a kid. Anybody know what the kid's name is? Tuna. Tuna. <laughs> Instantly a tuna and a bass. That was awesome. (laughs) My brain just went... (laughs) No, their kid's name was Boaz. That's right, Boaz. And Boaz picked up this girl named Ruth, and they had a son named Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named And a son, and a son, and a son, and a son. so what did God do God used a hooker from a pagan nation to bring his son into the world I ain't never getting over that he still saves sinners and he used one to bring his son into the world imagine that so I got a quote here from David Gizik and this hit me upside the head it was rough it was rough Consider that she was a pagan sinner in a city and a culture wholly given over to the worship of false gods and immorality with no previous contact with the word of God or the things of God. What's your excuse? Okay, no. So, what's the point? <clears throat> I'll get it back here in a second. Maybe. Number one, yesterday is not as important uh, because you can only use today. Because it's very easy for me to think that Rahab could have gone, well, God can't use me. I can't use me. Yes, He can. He did. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. You know, there are four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. You know who one of them is? Rahab. Boom. <laughs> awesome stuff. Number two, use what you have for God and watch God work with it because He can do a lot more than you think. Number three, never rest, underestimate what God can do with someone that appears to be unsavable everybody is savable. Don't you give up. So what do I do with that? This is what I've been wrestling with all week, okay? You guys get the Sunday morning condensed version. God has beat me over the head with this for like 40 hours this week. It's the most unproductive week at work I've ever had. <clears throat> we won't put that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So what do I do with that? Well, I know that our past does not limit what God can do with our today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow will happen when tomorrow happens. Our past does not impact what God can do with our today. It just doesn't. Number two, open up your home to God's people. Now, I'm I'm just going to bet that your place is nicer than Rahab's was. And she used what she had. How many times have I talked about use what God has put in your hand for him. That's why you put it in your hand, right? And then number three, don't you ever look down on a Rahab. Don't you ever look down on a Rahab. She was mentioned eight times in scripture. It's a lot more than I was mentioned in scripture. Don't ever look down on a Rahab. So, that's the red thread. I love it. Now, there's another concept in business called the red thread. You ever heard this in business? Anybody? It's a thread that weaves through a company. That ties the mission together. Okay? It weaves hold on to that real tight for me. Thank you, sir. It weaves through a company and ties the mission together. Mr. to hold that for me. Because if you look at the Bible, if you look at the Bible, you'll come to the conclusion that there is this theme all throughout. Right? Hold that for me. And and sometimes it goes in very strange directions, right? It goes in quite strange. Hold that for me. Don't let me strangle you. That would not be good. And it, it'll weave over here. Hold that for me, please. Thank you. I'm hung up. And sometimes it's hard to see. Hold that for me. And, and it, it just runs all over the place. It runs all over the place. And sometimes it comes over here. Eric, hold that for me. Thank you, sir. The choir's not getting out here early today, are they? <laughs> And Zeke, you know where it ends? Hold on to that, Zeke. It ends with salvation of Jesus. See, because we can trace Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And that's the red thread that holds the whole thing together. It's the story of redemption. And that's why I love the story of Rahab. Because who does it impact? Hold your hand up if you're holding the red thread. What else would combine these people together, Right? You see these, this loose-knit group of people in the Old Testament, and you go, this story that God wove through the whole thing is unbelievable. And that's what it's about, because it ends with Jesus. But it doesn't really end with Jesus, because Jesus told us to go do something with it. Isn't that cool? I love the red thread. So, that's all I got this morning. Um, we got... Uh, we got prayer requests to do this morning. So, you got pages on your table. Put your name on those. That'd be great. Okay, I'm officially worn out now. So, if you're wondering why the red thread's at your table, I like bookmarks in books. Might be something to think about for a bookmark because it might be somebody you want to pray for that hadn't had the red thread in their life yet. So, let's do our prayer requests, and you are dismissed. Thank you for coming today.